See, it's hard to stop when you get going. Wow. Uh, that, I gave you an extra minute. So good job. Uh, in the process, a couple people came up and said, this was awesome. I don't know if you'll ever get to do that again. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, come back the next two weeks and we'll find something else to do. Maybe it'll just be different people. I don't know. We'll see. Something unexpected, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to introduce um, some principles that are going to apply to our one main passage we're going to talk about today. And somewhere in there, you're going to have figured out by then probably what that rock and that card is for. Um, if you're like a detective type personality, you probably could tell me exactly what we're going to do with them. But for the rest of you, just hang in there and we'll get there. God, thank you so much for um, the conversations we've just been able to have to um, spend some time talking to the people that we worship with. Maybe it's the beginning of, of a relationship. Uh, maybe it's the beginning of, of making this feel like it really is a family. And uh, I pray that we would take these conversations and uh, the relationships, the, the people that we've met today, maybe out to the barbecue and continue them, or maybe uh, it'll be a lot easier to say hello and, and just feel like uh, we fit in. Thank you for the participation of everybody. And God, today as we look into your word, I pray that you would teach us personally and specifically um, what we need to do about what we hear today. Um, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm talking about Jesus a little bit, if that's okay. Um, got to set this up because there's some um, there's some things we need to remember um, about Jesus time here on earth I'm going to start with kind of his purpose for coming um, Jesus comes as God in the flesh in John uh, 1 4, uh, 114 it says he became flesh and dwelt among us so um, I'm not by the way the verses aren't going to be up there today I will give you the references if you need to write them down if you like to do that um, so first Jesus came to show us what God is like. Uh, because sometimes when we find out what Jesus does or what God is like, we're actually surprised. And like I said, today we're going to talk about um, some unexpected endings in some of these stories. In Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3, uh, that's chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, um, in these last days, he, God, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world, and he, Jesus, his son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So when we study or when we look at Jesus, we find out what God is like. If he were here living among us, as Jesus was. Uh, next is Jesus came to show us just how much God loved us. And, and most of you have, have heard John 3.16, maybe not 17 so much, but... It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And, and maybe you didn't get that part yet. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And then Jesus came to show us that God loved us before we were all cleaned up. Um, I remember a boy in Sacramento one day, he lived across the street from our church in the low rent neighborhood, the lowest rent probably in the city was right across the street from our church. And I said, hey, you want to come to church? I know you've been coming to our after school program. And he goes, I don't have anything nice to wear. And he thought that he had to look a certain way and be all cleaned up before he could come. And some of us look at our lives and say, I don't know if God's ready for me. Um, good news, Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless. And I think that powerless was 
powerless to fix our own dilemma uh, without God's help. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cleaning up takes place after we begin to follow. Jesus wanted us to know that. That's a major piece of our story this morning. And then um, God wants us... I just got to say, before I say this one, this one's a little bit harder because it means there's something in us that has to be adjusted. And um, God showed us through Jesus that he wants us to worry about ourselves first and foremost, not the other person, to worry about ourselves. Um, He illustrated this in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, when Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is a big dilemma for us, even right now in today's world. I promise not to talk about any southern restaurants that make chicken. But that's probably on some of your minds. Uh, The question I want to ask about the situations that come up is how do we speak the truth in love? And this has less to do with that thing that I'm not going to talk about than our everyday walking around life where we have situations that arise where we still have to learn how to speak the truth in love. I think in this story today we'll see um, how Jesus does that and it might surprise us. There was one uh, instance of Jesus speaking the truth in love. Uh, It came at the end of John. I think it's in chapter 21. And Jesus had risen from the dead, and some people had seen him, and others heard about it, but they didn't really believe it. I think most of the people that he told that this was going to happen weren't really, yeah, 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 probably not, but okay, until they saw him. And so a few days after, there's this scene where Jesus walks up to the beach and Some of the disciples are out in their boat fishing, and um, he shouts from the beach, and they haven't really figured out who he is yet. Hey, you guys want to catch some fish? Like, sure, throw your net on the other side, and they do, and they get a load of fish. And Peter starts to connect two and two. He's already seen him, but I don't know if it's really registered that he's back for now. And so Peter figures it out and jumps in the water and swims into shore. And when he gets there, Jesus has got breakfast already cooking. And they sit down, they begin to eat, and Jesus says some very difficult things to Peter about his future. And then he requires something of him. He kind of says the same thing three times. Feed my sheep, care for my lambs, tend to my sheep. Whatever words he used, he looks Peter in the eye and says, and here's how you're going to die in the process of serving me like you really want to, like I can see in your heart that you want to. And he's having this conversation with Peter. I'm sure he's like, Got his eye gaze locked in, looking at him to say, are you getting this? And I think by the third time, Peter got it. But then he turns around and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is the one that had leaned back against Jesus at the Lord's Supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And right after Peter figured this out, this thing with Jesus about feeding his sheep, he looks back, he sees him, he says, Lord, what about him? Like... Does he have to die really bad too, like me? What, you know? 
Uh, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So two ways he illustrates that point. Worry about yourself, Peter. So in situations where we might think, I need to figure out how to speak the truth and love here. I want you to think about these two acrostics um, that might help a little bit. The first one is jab. I know that doesn't sound too good, and that's because it's not. And, and the J stands for judge, the A is advice, and the B is blame. Because these are sometimes our first reaction to a situation. Before we think, oh, we're supposed to speak the truth in love, we're judging people. Because we're better, of course. And we're trying to give them unsolicited advice, maybe that they're not ready to hear because there isn't a relationship, but we know best and they need to know from us what's best. Or we just start blaming people, forgetting about maybe why they've come to that point where they've done what they've done. So I want to suggest three other things on the other side, and these are represented by the word laugh, which kind of makes you smile. Everybody laugh. Okay, most of you smiled when you did that. All right, and the LAF is love, accept, and forgive. And these are really essentially the opposite. Instead of judging, love. Instead of giving advice, accept people, let God do the work, let God do the changing, um, and instead of blaming, just forgive. Easier said than done, I know, but keep those words locked in the back of your mind as we get to this story this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, again, refrain, this is where I got inspired by all this from Pastor Josh. Um, he got most of the guys in the congregation to confess to a major sin in their lives, which if you remember was drinking out of the carton. If you missed that week, then you're, you're off the hook for now, unless you get caught. But what if you do get caught? What if your sin is greater than drinking milk out of the milk carton? By the way, I was curious because I have never seen a female drink milk out of the milk carton. I don't want you to be completely off the hook. We had one brave woman first service who said, I've done it. Ladies, anybody? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay, it doesn't count if you live by yourself, by the way. So, now I might go a little deeper today and go, okay, we're going to move on a little bigger and better sins here and see how willing you are to confess those things. Um, but I'll save that for a little bit later. Um, if you want to follow along in our story for today, it's in John chapter 8. It's verses 1 through 11. We're pretty much going to camp there now uh, for the rest of the service. And... Uh, if your Bible has titles, you're going to see the title. And if not, then it'll unfold for you as we go through it here. John chapter 8. Um, the setting is Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but it says early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought out a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Maybe you can imagine what that might have looked like. I'm picturing caught like in the act. What would that look like to throw her in front of the crowd? How's she feeling about now? But we'll come back to that. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? 
um, maybe some of you are thinking, is there really a law that says to throw rocks at people until they're dead? Um, Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. And the put-to-death method of choice during that time was actually stoning. It said, take stones and stone them to death. It doesn't say it specifically in this verse, but if you follow through Leviticus, if you follow through Deuteronomy, just about any time someone needs to be put to death for something, it adds the phrase, pick up stones and stone them. All right? So there was this one weird story in there. I was reading it. It says, um, if you find a medium, stone them to death. So I guess if you're larger, extra large, you're in good shape. Um, uh, so this death by stoning happens. But that really wasn't the question that bothered me when I heard this story. It was this, is why is the woman the only one out there? Because, yeah, that's right. Because it says in the law that they were quoting from, first the man and the woman should be put to death. And that was a dilemma for me. Uh, a few years ago, late 90s, I was in a, a jury trial it was about two and a half months long, later became known as the Black Widow trial. There was a woman on trial for allegedly um, killing her husband. And that's all we got to know was her story and the accusations against her for what she allegedly did. And then we had to decide, uh, was she guilty of murdering her husband? And it raised a question in our mind that well, we heard some of the things that had happened. Like, for example, one, uh, by the way, I'm not sequestered anymore. It was about 12 years ago. Um, by, the, by the way, uh, we asked some questions like, so why do you think she did it? And this came to our discussions. Well, because she went to his employer once and said, so if we're on a fishing trip out in the ocean and my husband falls off the boat, um, how much money do I get? Don't go to your husband's employer and ask that question. $60,000 didn't seem like enough motive uh, to kill her husband. Some of you may think it is, but um, it just didn't seem like enough. And so we started asking the question, there's got to be something else. You know, is there another guy or something? Because her husband in this case was quite a bit older than her, almost 20 years older than her. And um, we began to ask, is there a man somewhere? Well, during the case, it kind of came up that there was a next door neighbor that she'd been hanging out with and they'd been seen in a hotel together coming out of a hotel. And so we started asking questions about the guy and the, the judge through the attorney that was in our jury room said, none of your business. You're here to try this woman and nobody else. So stay with the facts about her and stick to this case. And I think maybe that's one of the possibilities in this story is, Maybe the guy's going to get it later, or maybe they just took care of him, or maybe he paid him off and he got free. I don't know what happened, but um, this lady got second degree, which means she didn't pull the trigger, but she planned it with her next door neighbor, which came out in the paper months later. So whatever's going on here, um, she's caught, and it could be that it was legitimate, and it could be it was simply a trap. Uh, to try to discredit Jesus and what he would say. Um, because many times people are going to be surprised by Jesus' unexpected response. I mean, certainly Jesus will obey the law, and he certainly knows it, you know. 
it came through God. And he would know it because he's always quoting the Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew. Certainly he would know that the law says this is the way that we take care of this. So that's what he'll do. So back to the stoning rocks for a second. Um, Another thing that might surprise you is that getting stoned didn't start in the 60s. It's been going on for a long time. And um, so I started looking around the property here and I actually found these, you know, good hand-sized stone. You know, you can get a grip on those and toss them. I think they would make a mark. Maybe they did that here once upon a time. I found all these rocks on a pile at the other end of the campus. I don't know. I I think we've stopped the practice. But, um, you know, I don't think I want to watch a stoning. Uh, It's in the news. I I think it still happens somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, But this was the the method of choice. And so I'm going to talk about some things that might surprise you about Jesus. Some would say Jesus was weak. And some would say he's all about judging. You know, always looking down on us going, I'm just waiting to catch you. I can see what's in your heart. I know who you are. I know what you're going to do. And, and those thoughts, which I'm going to say are incorrect, were what led to people making this video about Jesus. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you. Peter, you lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. And you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. (laughs) Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. I hope you heard me say these were misconceptions. Um, We'll deal with both of those. Really, 
Um, I don't know how someone could call Jesus weak because right here in the middle of our story, he's standing in a crowd being asked a question and everybody in the crowd is armed with rocks to stone somebody. And yet, by one simple sentence and a couple of actions, he has total command of this crowd. The part about Jesus being judgmental, um, we'll get to that. Oh, let's see how that unfolds. Uh, in verse 6, it says the religious leaders were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So I, I asked the question, was he trapped or did he really have them right where he wanted them? Um, so when he bent over and wrote in the dirt, what did he write? It doesn't tell us. There's a lot of speculation. Um, I have a few ideas um, there's one. Think what these might do to that crowd. Or how about this one? Or maybe that plus this one. Because he would know. Uh, verse 9, when the accusers... Um, oh, sorry, verse 7... They continue to demand an answer. And so it says he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So instead of judging, Jesus released her from her captors and her consequences. Instead of judgment, he demonstrated love, grace, and forgiveness. And in both cases, the crowd and the woman, Jesus teaches us to speak the truth in love. Because sometimes it's just asking the right question. Uh, maybe you know someone who feels like they aren't forgiven or uh, thinks they can't be forgiven because of the constant failure. Maybe that person is you. Um, when I was young, uh, my parents used to tell me this little rhyme they said sticks and stones will break your bones but names will never hurt you um it's one of those things they told me that wasn't really true it was just trying to get me to move on um here's a a song that's that story played out um about this one girl soon it will be hammered into what she calls her silly head that she really isn't silly, but she's beautiful instead. But every time she gets a hold of something pretty, it slips away. So she keeps hoping that someday soon he will come. He will comfort all that's hardened, change the deserts into gardens, and we all will see his face. He will soften all the starkness, break the chambers of our darkness, and we'll all be overwhelmed. She spilled her coffee in her Chevy on the way to work at 805. 
She's always thought that she was clumsy and she hated it and wondered why. She can handle any tragedy that happens, but not the little things like this. So she keeps hoping that someday soon he will come. Within the world of a girl, the words she hears, they mean an awful lot. And the music in her mind when she gets older has the lyrics she was taught. And when she gets to heaven, all the right things will be said. And he will look on her with favor because he will come. And when he comes, he'll remove his flaming garment and place it on the lowest harlot. And we will all see his smile. And then we will all lift our voices, every one of us rejoicing, and we'll all be overwhelmed. And I'm wondering if this woman that was there on the ground before him didn't have a life something like this. But the people with the stones didn't think about that. They just thought about the current action and the judging that they could do, that they had the right to do because the law said so. So um, I want to take you back through this story one more time, but I want to do it a little bit differently. What I'd really like for you to do is just block out all the interruptions and just close your eyes and listen and, and picture that you're there that day when all this went down. When, uh, when that crowd started to gather and they started to gather with stoning rocks in hand. The religious leaders are all there. And Jesus gets up and begins to approach the crowd. There's a lot of whispering going on. Look, there's Jesus. What will he do? Surely Jesus will uphold the law. I'm picking up my rock too. But what if he doesn't? There's a lot of people here with rocks. And you might wonder, can he take them all on? So you wait and you watch. The religious leaders begin to challenge him. It's the law, Jesus. She's guilty. What should we do? Things start getting tense very quickly. What's Jesus doing? He's ignoring them. What's he riding in the dirt? The leaders continue to press him to give an answer. What's the answer, Jesus? Do we kill her? What do you say? It gets real quiet again, and he straightens up. He's going to say something. And then he speaks. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Whoa. He's bending down again and riding in the dirt. I wonder, is there anyone here who's never sinned? If it's you, do you have a judging stone in your hand ready to throw at another sinner? Because maybe they're a little worse than you. So the crowd begins to disperse. And all that's left is Jesus and the person weeping on the ground in front of him. Jesus steps closer and he says, where are your accusers? 
doesn't even one of them accuse you? And then Jesus leans over and he looks you in the eye and he says, neither do I. Can you hear him saying it to you now? I don't condemn you either. I came to save you. And then he reaches out his hand to you and he helps you up. And he says, go and sin no more. That's not all that often that we get an instant opportunity to apply what we've just heard. I'm thinking back to Genesis 3. Josh spoke of Adam and Eve in the garden and they had just sinned. And the next thing they hear is God's voice saying, Adam, where are you? So that's maybe the question is, where are you today? You have a stoning rock. You have a confession card. Maybe you need to let go of both. What's that nagging sin in you today? The one that maybe you haven't been able to stop or you can't forgive yourself for. Write it on the card, but don't put your name on there because God already knows. What's that stoning rock that you're holding? Is it for that person that you've been judging instead of loving? There's two things that we can do today to immediately apply this. I'm going to suggest that you don't hold on to the card or the rock. Don't leave it at your seat. Drop the rock or nail the sin to the cross. And don't let this opportunity pass. When you're ready, as the music's playing, you can take your rock to either side. There's a bucket to drop it in. There's some nails and a hammer. You can see we had to clear some space first hour because there wasn't any room left on the cross for more sins. But there's always room on the real cross. Make it your act of worship today to trust Jesus to forgive you. To trust Jesus to be the judge so you can just love. Let Jesus begin to heal you today. Take your confession card and nail it to either cross. Drop that rock. Many times people have told me that this small symbolic act has given them release or freedom or a fresh start. Here's your chance. Let's all stand up. It's easy to get out. God, thank you for what you've taught us through your word and through your son. And let us not hold back today from the things that are holding us back. Let us release it to you. And as we hear the sounds, uh, may we know that along with those sounds comes the forgiveness that you've already paid for. In Jesus' name, amen.